0: Whoa! Oh. They gonna be all
1: right this morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3.
2: So much for the Kansas City Chiefs taking a step back in 2022, no Tyreek Hill. They're not going to be as good. They're not going to be as dynamic. Well, so much for that narrative. Chiefs come from behind when they had to overcome an early deficit. They had to overcome another atrocious Penalty by NFL officiating as they took down the rival Las Vegas Raiders 30 to 29. When it's all said and done, Travis Kelsey. Four touchdowns is good. I'm I I think that's I think that's, a good, I think that's a good game. When you have one of the best quarterbacks in the league, and when you have by far the best tight end in the National Football League, and a guy that's going to shatter probably every receiving record held by a tight end. And you still got Andy Reid? You still got a chance. You still got a chance to be really, really good. And the Chiefs showed that again last night as they improved to 4-1 and on the season. Good morning. Welcome to RP3 and Company. I'm your host, Raymond Parch III, better known as RP3. Of course, I'm joined inside the studios for the next three hours by the producer extraordinaire, a woman who's trying to pace herself. Seattle Mariners begin a playoff series today. She's got to be mentally and physically prepared for that action, which means getting all her work done in a timely fashion. No lollygagging, no playing around with, you know, donut, waiting on him to come in for shenanigans. Getting your mind right. To cheer on her Mariners to a victory while also trying to recover from the disappointment she suffered last night with Dancing with the Stars. It's Miss Hannah Five Names. Good morning. Are you wearing teal black flannel in honor of the Mariners?
3: Yes, yes, I am. <laughs> my <laughs> shoes also have teal on them, by the way.
2: I, sh- I should have worn my quarter zip for the Braves. But I will I will do so on Friday. Okay. There we go. Uh, that, that, that'll be what I'll do on Friday. I'll make sure to wear that on Friday. Uh, you wore your Seattle Mariners shirt yesterday. So did you raid your closet this morning or was it last night going, I can't wear my Mariners shirt again. What can I wear that can represent the Seattle Mariners? And you found the flannel.
3: Well, the flannel's already hanging up, so I just looked at it this morning. I was like, okay, got to wear something blue at least. And I was like, yes, it's somewhat cold outside. We're wearing this teal and black flannel. And then I was like, yeah, so now I have my awesome joggers that are black with my black and teal uh, Nikes, Nikes, I think, or Puma's, one of the two.
2: Glad you know what kind of shoe you're wearing.
3: (laughs) I don't remember all the time. I got too many.
2: <laughs> Are you wearing shoes? That's that's all that really matters. <laughs> yes, I okay. am wearing shoes. There's
3: it, no stinky feet over here.
2: As long as we don't have stinky feet in the studio, we're, we're going to be good to go today. Not to worry. Not to worry. We got a great show lined up for you today. Coming up at 7 o'clock, we're going to get a preview of Stroh's Mariners with our buddy Brett Chancy from the Locked On Astros podcast. He'll join us to give us his insight on that matchup, how dangerous it is. Could be a good one. Could be possibly the most competitive series we have of the divisional round. We'll talk to Brett Chansey about that at 7 o'clock. No Coach Dez live this week because obviously today is a travel day for the Raging Cajuns as they gear up to take on Marshall. But we're going to talk Raging Cajuns later on in today's show. And we heard from Coach Dez yesterday on the conference conference call. So, Brett Chancey at 7 o'clock. 8 o'clock, the great one, Jim Gozolo McNeese is coming off the bye. They're looking to get back to their winning ways. As they open up at home conference play, they opened up conference play on the road, but they're back at home against Texas A&M Commerce. That'll be at 8 o'clock. And then at 8.30 from USA Today to give us a preview of all four divisional series in Major League Baseball, Bob Nightingale. So we'll have plenty of baseball to discuss on this morning's RP3 and company. It is playoffs. We'll also talk Raging Cajuns football, LSU football, Saints football. We'll get to all that as well throughout today's show. And of course, we want to, Hear from you. Hotline is open. 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. But let's talk about that Monday night football game. Ooh, it was a dandy. It was a dandy. Four touchdowns by Travis Kelsey. Chiefs have to rally. Another atrocious roughing the passer call. And and, and I'm going to break it down for you. The reason why this is happening is because the NFL took such a PR hit with the Tua situation down in Miami because of how the Dolphins mishandled that and the perception of how they mishandled that, that you're seeing officials now go overboard with protecting quarterbacks. The call over the weekend, even though I have no feelings about the Atlanta Falcons whatsoever, that they got jobbed. That was a terrible roughing the passer call against Tom Brady. Actually, it made a big difference in that ballgame. Last night's was even worse. Last night's was even worse. We've gotten to the point now where officials – When you have a nice Christian man like Tony Dungy ranting on social media about the officials, you know you've crossed a point where you go, really? Sweet old Tony Dungy is all fired up. That we can't just play football anymore. And the crazy thing about this in this game is Chris Jones landed on Derek Carr because he was trying to recover a fumble. So the defensive tackle, the big fella, late in the first half, is trying to recover a fumble. The Chiefs have just scored to trim their deficit to 17-7 when Jones stripped the ball from Raiders quarterback Derek Carr just before halftime. Jones then landed on Carr while also coming up with the ball. The replays clearly showed that the ball was loose and clearly showed that Jones had recovered it. But referee Carl Sheffers threw a flag for roughing the passer. What is he supposed to do? Like that that's what I don't understand. Explain to me what the defensive tackle is supposed to do. Is he supposed to not try to recover the fumble? He stripped the ball out of Derek Carr's hands and then promptly dove onto the ground to get the fumble. He didn't dive on the ground to inflict pain on Derek Carr. He didn't dive on the ground to replicate some backyard wrestling move that he's been doing since he was 14 years old. He was getting the football. And that drew a flag for roughing the passer. In the pool report following the game, he explained that he saw Jones land on Carr with his full body weight while the quarterback was in the pocket. Sheffer says that the fact that Jones took the ball away from Carr was irrelevant. Are we kidding with this? Is this where we're at? Where you strip a quarterback of the ball and you're not allowed to dive for a loose football now. Is this where we're at? This is the problem with the NFL and its officiating. It's not consistent. You can tell that there's either been a memo or someone got a talking to behind the scenes where officials now are being overly cautious when it comes to the quarterbacks because of the Tua situation. You see Tua get hurt, and now we are seeing this. It's not a coincidence. It's not dumb luck. This is happening for a reason. Why is this, like, you can't. Sheffers tries to rationalize his decision to throw a flag for roughing the passer by saying, well, Carr gets passing protection until he can defend himself. Just if he had thrown the ball, he still gets protection. That extends until he's no longer in control of the ball. The ball was on the ground. Like, I, I don't understand. I really don't. I don't understand it. You're you're you can't I'm all about player safety. But what are we doing here? We're not allowing defensive linemen to even put their hands on quarterbacks. We saw it over the weekend with the, uh, the Bucks falcons game with Brady. That wasn't roughing the passer. That was a tackle. That's roughing the passer now? This is roughing the passer trying to go for a loose ball? And I've said it before. You know why the NFL doesn't care? You know why the NFL doesn't step up and say, you know what, it's time to fix this. It's time that we put rules in place. It's time that we hold our officials accountable. It's time that we properly train them. I don't know. Here's an idea. Hire officials as full-time employees instead of having them have nine-to-five jobs and then officiate on the weekends. Think about that. A billion-dollar industry is dependent on, wait for it, part-timers. Think about that for a second. something that is about the integrity of a billion-dollar industry, we're going to give that responsibility and hand it over to, wait for it, part-time employees. But they don't care. And we can scream at the mountaintops about bad officiating. It happens routinely from 9 to 11 on the station. And, and we can do so. You know why? Because the NFL is the most powerful sports league in this country, they're a billion-dollar industry that has multiple networks and streaming surfaces, surfaces, services. There we go. Fighting to give them billions of dollars to broadcast their games because you won't stop watching, because you won't stop listening, because you won't stop playing fantasy football, because you won't stop betting on games. The money keeps pouring in. There's no reason for the NFL to change its policy. There's no reason for the NFL to hold its officiating more accountable because they don't need to because they still make money. I'm talking Scrooge McDuck diving into the vault type of money. They don't care about the officiating. They don't care about the integrity of the shield. Because guess what? You don't care enough to stop watching. You don't care enough to stop betting. And you don't care enough to stop allowing television companies to spend billions of dollars to broadcast said games. So as atrocious as last night was, and it was, and for people of a certain age, we just can't believe that this is actually being called. I can only imagine what Jack Lambert and Deacon Jones... And those guys from that era, how they would feel about playing in the modern NFL. They wouldn't be allowed to. They probably would be outlawed from playing in the game. Let's head out to the hotline. Welcome on James to the show. He's been patiently waiting. James, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend?
4: Hey, hey, buddy, it's Chad.
2: Oh, I'm sorry, Chad. I got, got that wrong. Chad, good morning hey, to you, brother. What's on your mind?
4: Bud, when I lost my mind when I heard this, but they wanted the defensive tackle to break his fall or put his arm underneath him so it would break his fall. Yeah. Did you did you get like so you want the defensive lineman to break his arm? So what is he supposed to do? He's 330 pounds. How is he supposed to stop or like? Is he supposed to push him from the back, which will be another personal foul if he does that? What they need to do is just go ahead and put some flags on them, on the quarterback, and pull his flag. Because I, I don't see any other way you're supposed to. Um, I mean, he literally tackled the guy, wasn't spearing, wasn't nothing. But I lost my mind when he said he should have put his arm, or he tried to put his arm underneath so it would break the guy's fall. I'm like, you've got to be kidding me.
2: And Jones so- said afterwards, Chad, that he braced himself with his arm not holding the ball so he wouldn't land on Carr with his full body weight to begin with. And he said, I mean, quote, how should I tackle people? How should I not roll on exactly. him? I'm trying my best. I'm 325 pounds, okay? What do you want me to do? I'm going full speed trying to get to the quarterback.
4: Right. And these plays are happening. This isn't slow motion. These plays are happening in a split second. Correct. So I don't, I don't, I don't understand how they're supposed to. I mean, it's football. Um, even the Even the former quarterbacks, uh, are baffled about this it, it's not football anymore and it really is i still will watch barely i'll have it on but it's getting harder and harder to watch uh each season with these new rules it's not fair to the defense uh i think you should even have plays i think you should throw it uh down the field every time but uh every every three plays throw it down the field you're gonna get a flag and you're gonna get it the spot of the ball so uh it's becoming very hard and hard harder to watch uh, at least for me it is thank you man
2: appreciate the phone call brother Yeah, for a lot of us, it's getting tough to watch, right? Look, if you grew up in an era where you watch old NFL films, right? A lot of us did with the the great music and the highlight reels done by Steve Sobel and his father where you had these great crunching t- uh, you know, tackles. I mean, think of the Steel Curtain defense or the no-name defense for the Dolphins, both in the 70s. Think about those great Raider defenses or the old Rams defense with Deacon Jones and company. Or even go, f- you know, uh, make it, you know, just in the 80s. Think of Reggie White, the Minister of Defense, or Lawrence Taylor, or Ronnie Lott. Mike Singletary. You think any of those games could play in today's NFL? You think they'd be allowed to play in today's NFL? No. I get player protection. I understand it. I understand the desire to have it and to want to be able to protect the players. I get it. And You got to protect them from yourselves. But you got to let them be able to play football, man. What are we doing here? What are we doing? We got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll actually talk about the game and just not the atrocious officiating once again that we're seeing weekend after weekend in the NFL. It's, it's 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 just so good. It's so good. Watch your games, play your fantasy football and then see how many terrible terrible calls are going to be called in a single weekend. You're listening to RP3 and Company right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: You know the routine. Eat, drink, sleep, and sports. All day, every day. You're listening to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
2: Uh, it's time for you to warm up your dancing legs for the official run in duathlon of Festival Acadian. Race through Lafayette's Historic District and end up at Gerard Park for Festival Acadian in Creole on Sunday, October 16th. Compete in the 5K or the 10K or the Run Paddle Run in the duathlon. Taking part in the event helps support local parks, community projects, and the festival that you all love. Volunteer or simply register at latrail.org, that's latrail.org. Talking about the tremendous officiating that was put on display because now uh defensive linemen are not allowed to fall down on the ground. Can't fall down on the ground. Not allowed. You're three hundred and fifty pounds. Sorry, break your fall and break your arm in the process. (laughs) Uh, The the thought and the theory by the officiating crew is just magnificent. It really is. Just good for them. They're trying their best to rationalize their terribleness. The game itself, I know it's hard, but let's, let's take away from the atrocious officiating that we saw. Let's talk about the actual game. Raiders came out. It was gut check time. One and three on the season entering this game. Well below expectations. One of the biggest disappointments so far early in the NFL season are the Raiders because they added Devontae Adams. They added some firepower. They were supposed to be better. They made a coaching change, and they've been just bad. Well, they come out strong, right? They set the tone right off the bat. First quarter, Derek Carr connects with Devontae Adams, former Green Bay Packers wide receiver, who, by the way, went to college with Derek Carr. They're friends. 58-yard 50 yard pass. They're like, woo! here we go. Then Josh Jacobs, who was running like an absolute maniac last night, best we've seen him run in a long time, he scores a touchdown. Then they add a 53-year field goal, and just like that, the Raiders are up 17-0. And the Chiefs look like they're in trouble. And then the Chiefs, Patrick Mahomes, Travis Kelsey, they said, Really? Oh, we spotted you 17. Yeah, that's not going to be enough. Kelsey, one yard touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes, 11 plays, 75 yard drive. That makes it 17 7. Then the Raiders are able to add the field goal after the terrible officiated experience. That makes it then 20-7. to But right before halftime, the Chiefs are able to get a 59-yard field goal. So many long field goals this weekend, by the way, over 50 yards, it seemed like. So Matthew Wright gets them on the board. It's 20-10. They're only down by 10. And then it's a Travis Kelsey touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes. And then it's a Travis Kelsey touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes. Like, defenses know... That the ball's coming to Travis Kelsey. They know Patrick Mahomes is going to target Travis Kelsey. The best tight end in the game. You know the ball's coming to him. You know that's what their offense is built upon. And yet, you can't stop it. It's an unstoppable connection. It really is. They're just that good together. Raiders cut the lead down to one with another long field goal. This one, 47 yards in the fourth. But then Patrick Mahomes and Travis Kelsey are like, you know what? You and I have found the end zone three times already. You know what would be great? If we could find the end zone for a fourth time here in the fourth quarter. Let's make that happen. And sure enough, Another long 75-yard drive capped by, wait for it, touchdown pass from Patrick Mahomes to Travis Kelsey. And you look at his touchdown passes, this is the other interesting thing. One yard, four yards, eight yards, one yard. They're all right there (laughs) within 10 yards inside the 10-yard line. Good luck stopping that. Good luck having him just throw it to Kelsey can't defend that that's the ultimate play when you're down by the goal line is hit it up to your massive hugely athletic soft-handed tight end raiders did get another score there adams from Carr, 48 yard pass that made it 30 to 29 but the chiefs were able to hold on for the victory just Kelsey is a, a matchup nightmare. Just is. And the Chiefs, by the way, who so many people wanted to say, wanted to write them off, wanted to say that they were going to be bad, that they were going to be mediocre without Tyreek Hill because you didn't have a guy that could take the top off of the defense. By the way, the, the Chiefs sit at 4-1. and one Because they're still the Chiefs. They still have Andy Reid as their coach. They still have Patrick Mahomes at quarterback. They still have Travis Kelsey at tight end. And they got a bunch of other dudes at wide receiver that aren't great. They're just not, but they do good enough of a job where defenses have to defend them. And that's all you need. You look at the updated standings now that Week Five is in the books. Bills sit atop the AFC East, 4-1. The Chiefs are 4-1 on top of the AFC West, so those are your two best teams in the AFC. You got like the Jets and the Dolphins, the Ravens, the Tennessee Titans, the Los Angeles Chargers all around 3-2, and, and then everybody else is 2-3 or worse. We knew the AFC was going to be a dogfight, but Am I surprised that the Chiefs and the Bills and the Ravens and the Titans are all leading their divisions? No, I'm not. Now, some of the teams that are struggling, I'm a little bit more surprised by. We talked about the Bengals, the Steelers, the Broncos. That's a little bit more surprising. Over in the NFC, Eagles are your only undefeated team in the NFL at 5-0, but that division is bonkers good to start off the year as both the Cowboys and the Giants are 4 and 1, Minnesota Vikings lead the NFC North at 4 and 1. The NFC South is wide open, Tampa's 3 and 2, but then the Saints and Falcons are both 2 and 3. And then the 49ers are 3 and 2 leading the West, while the defending Super Bowl champs are 2 and 3. And let's not forget that the Carolina Panthers decided to make a change at head coach. yesterday, as expected, Matt Rule fired. They're going to pay him like $20 million not to be their coach. And he's going to get a great job in college because he is a great college coach. He was great at Temple. He was able to win football games at Temple and then did so at Baylor. Guy just was not a good fit in the NFL. He'll get one of those great college openings, by the way. And since he's being fired now, They'll go ahead and lock that up. We should find that out by the end of the calendar year. Panthers' only win was against the Saints, of course. Of course it was. we got to take a timeout. When we return here, we'll shift from the NFL back to college. Sunday was a humbling experience for the LSU Tigers. Now they have to turn their attention to Billy Napier and the Florida Gators on Saturday. We'll hear what Brian Kelly had to say at his weekly press conference yesterday. That's coming up next right here at, on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. A uh, poll question of the day. Once again, Major League Baseball Divisional Series begin Today, we got day baseball. We have day baseball, by the way, right here on the game as the Astros open up postseason play against the Seattle Mariners. And you can listen to that matchup between the AL West rivals right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette, 1041 Lake Charles. Astro launch begins at 207 today, and first pitch is set for 237. Once again, 207 Astro launch, 237 first pitch. Don't forget to tune in today for Mariners at Astros here on the game. 103.7 Lafayette, one zero four one Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. All four divisional series begin today, and we're asking you, which one do you think is going to be the most competitive? Which one do you think is going to be the most competitive? Because three of the four matchups involve divisional opponents. That familiarity matters. It does, especially in baseball. Do you think it's going to be Guardians-Yankees? Guardians are sneaky good. Do you think it's going to be Mariners-Astros? Once again, Houston won the regular season series 12 games to 7, but the Mariners went toe-to-toe. And Seattle is really dangerous, as the Toronto Blue Jays found out over the weekend. Is it Padres-Dodgers? Once again, that's another divisional matchup. Even though the Dodgers own the Padres, it does feel like maybe... The Dodgers are a little bit in the head of the Padres? Or is it Phillies-Braves? NL East rivals duking it out. Right now, the results for the poll question of the day. Which Major League Baseball Divisional Series will be the most competitive? 35% of you say Phillies-Braves. 30% say Mariners-Astros. 25% of you say Padres-Dodgers. And only 10% for Guardians-Yankees. Let's get to some comments. Ton on Twitter says, I think the Braves will take it, but I think those two games will be one or two run wins for the winner. I think the Astros will have their way with the Mariners. Dodgers will blow out San Diego, and Yanks will obliterate the Guardians. Obliterate, that's a good word. Ton also said, Matt Rule going to pull a Nick Saban, get back in the college game and be championship contender year after year, all while getting paid by the Panthers. Feels that way. Very few guys come from college succeed. It's a different it, – it, it, you have to coach differently. Steve Spurrier couldn't do it. Urban Meyer couldn't do it. Matt Rule couldn't do it. Nick Saban couldn't do it. Pete Carroll was successful because Pete was an NFL head coach twice with the Patriots and the Jets before he went to USC and began that dynasty run that they had in the 2000s. He had already been an NFL head coach who got fired and went to college. And then he goes back to the NFL and has a great amount of success. But, look, NFL coaches, NFL coaches, college, they just don't transition. They just don't. John Paul Cajun Daddy says, I really believe the Guardians, Yankees, Cleveland has the best chance to upset all of the teams. Of the four non-wildcard teams, the Yankees had the easiest path through their 99 wins, could not even get to 100 wins. Keep those votes coming on the old poll question of the day. Once again, Major League Baseball Divisional Series begin today. Which one of them is going to be the most competitive? We'd love to hear from you. And We'll talk more baseball with Brett Chancey. When he joins us from the Locked On Astros podcast coming up at straight up 7 o'clock. But right now, let's talk a little LSU football. Ooh, what a stinker. There's no other way to describe what happened Sunday. I mean, Saturday. It was awful. It was atrocious. They got to do better. I think LSU's limited in what they can do or what they can be this year. I think their ceiling is really seven wins, maybe eight. Saturday's game against Florida, which you can listen to live right here on the game, will go a long way to determining that. And and look, the back end of their schedule is favorable. A struggling Arkansas team, UAB, and Texas A&M may be in nuclear meltdown mode by the season finale. LSU could easily, even after what I saw on Saturday in Death Valley, LSU could easily win their final three games of the season. Uh, They they stand at four wins right now. You add three, that's seven. They got Florida on Saturday, and they got Ole Miss on the 22nd for homecoming. I could see it. I could also see them losing one of those last three games, but maybe – Winning a game here against Florida or Ole Miss that people aren't expecting. But this team is limited. They they make too many mistakes. Special teams is a mess. They can't run the football. They're ranked seventh in the SEC in rush attempts, rush yards, and rushing average. They're middle-of-the-pack running team. Jaden Daniels is limited in what he can do, what he can bring to the table. That That's the best you're going to get. And Brian Kelly kept saying that over and over again on Saturday, right, in the post-game press conference. (laughs) These are the guys we got. These are the guys we got to coach them up. We got to coach better. These are the guys we got. We got what we have. And he's not telling any lies. The team they have is what they have. The talent on the roster is not nearly what it needs to be. Just is not where it needs to be. And he met with the media yesterday and extremely forthcoming. And he said, look, the teams that we're going to face, the teams on our schedule, they know our weaknesses and our strengths. So what we do at this point of the season, it's up to us to find answers.
5: Everybody knows their strengths and weaknesses. And then everybody knows your own strengths and weaknesses, right? Because you've been self-scouted and scouted. So I think it's important at this time of the season is that, you know, you start to look at the areas that people want to attack and and you have to be creative. You know, you have to be able to say, okay, they're going to attack us here. What's our answer? You know, how are we going to help our players in this particular situation, whether it be offense, defense or special teams, Um, you know, uh, are we better served with a 42-yard punt with a 4.6 hang time than a 58-yard punt that stretches our coverage? You know, all of those things have to be considered across the board from an offense, defense, and special teams, and 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 that's where you go back and and look at it um, critically and say, how can we help our football team?
2: So they're doing some reevaluation right now, figuring out what works best for them because. I think it was not only for the fan base, a not necessarily a revelation, but definitely eye-opening and a realization of this team is limited. What they can do is limited. And I think Brian Kelly's going to use this as an opportunity with his staff to go, guys, we have what we have. We can't continue trying to put guys that can't do what we want them to do in those positions so we have to change that's what he says when we have to coach better that that means that they're going to have to change their game plan here because they are extremely limited as a football program right now and what they can and can't do specifically on offense offensive line is a mess we find out yesterday that Will Campbell's doing better, that he's progressing nicely, but Dellinger's going to miss a couple weeks. He's out. Well, got to reshuffle the offensive line yet again. And the offensive line is poor to begin with, not optimal. So the offensive line is not good. And the offensive line is not good, which allows them not to be able to run the football. Their leading rusher is their quarterback. They're in the middle of the pack in the SEC when it comes to rushing as it is. And their best option for picking up yards on the ground is their quarterback. That's not good. That's not that that's not going to win the big games. So you got to change it. And Kelly talked about, hey, that maybe they have to look on their approaches to executing the game plan and maybe. I don't know, reducing the number of plays, maybe dumbing it down a little bit.
5: I think it's really more about situational offense than it is adding anything. Matter of fact, I think we probably have to take some things out because we have to execute at a higher level, and maybe less is more, um, and, and maybe that's what we have to look at.
2: That's a coach telling you right there, right there, maybe we got too many plays on the play sheet. Maybe our guys, led by our quarterback and our wide receivers and our line and everything like that, maybe it's too complex for them. Once again, it sounds like to me it started on Saturday after the game ended, and he reinforced it again yesterday during the press conference. This is a man that is letting his staff know, we have to change what we're doing because it's not working. And these guys that we have... We have to make it easy for them. That's what he's saying right there. We got to make it easy for them. And we can describe it however we want to. I can sit here and tell you that essentially the coaching staff is going to try to dumb down the offense to make it easier for everyone. Whatever's needed. But Kelly understood during that game, that's also the reason why he went for it on fourth down three times because he knew that his team wasn't good enough to, to, to keep up that he needed to do something, and the gambles didn't pay off. But you could tell even during the game, he was like, I might as well go for it. He knows the limitations of his team. They're going to have to figure out how to change it. They're going to have to figure out what to do to make it better, to make them better. Now, I was asked yesterday, I do believe, about Walker Howard. Could we see Walker? Now, we've seen him a little bit running the football in garbage time against Southern, right? So he can play up to four games and still keep his red shirt. And, you know, quarterback play hasn't been great. But Walker Howard's name did get brought up in yesterday's press conference. And Coach Kelly has a really good feeling about the former STM Cougar in the future.
5: I'd say... I'd say every day that he's he's with us, um, there's more knowledge because I'm in the meetings with the quarterbacks and he's got he's got a great football knowledge. Um, he's mentally strong, um, you know. He believes he's better than every quarterback we have, uh, which is awesome. I love that, and I don't mean that in any way other than he just has that kind of makeup, which is what you want. And he respects everybody in the room. Um, but yeah, he's, he's continues to develop, and um, we have you know we have a good feeling about it.
2: Walker is the centerpiece for what Brian Kelly wants to do moving forward. He was his top priority when he got the job. He tried to recruit him to come to Notre Dame, remember, he gets the LSU job. even though Walker was already there, you know, it looked like he was going to be in the bag. What did Kelly do? who was his number one priority to make sure he locked up in his very first recruiting class. Who did he do the silly video that we all made fun of him for with? Walker Howard. That's the future LSU fan. I know it looks dire right now. I know it's frustrating right now. I get all that. But Brian Kelly is going to build this LSU football team around the STM Cougar. That's what he's going to do. That's going to be his job in the spring. I'm telling you right now. Jane Daniels will move on. Garrett Nussmeyer is not going to win that job. It's going to be Walker Howard's. And then Brian Kelly will be able to run the offense and run the team the way he wants to with the guy that he wants to build around. It's coming. It'll just have to be next year. we have got to take a timeout. Wrap up hour number one when we come back here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston
1: Astros. Alexa and The Game make a great team. Do yourself a favor and enable the Alexa skill, The Game, Southwest Louisiana, so you can keep it locked in to The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, wherever you go.
2: The Houston Astros open up postseason play against the Seattle Mariners, and you can listen to the matchup between the West rivals right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, and that will be today. Astro launch starts at 207. First pitch set for 237. Don't forget to tune in today for Mariners at Astros right here on the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Update on the poll question of the day. Which one of these series do you believe is going to be the most competitive for the Major League Baseball Divisional Series? Right now leading the vote, Mariners-Astros with 38% of the vote, followed by 27% each for Padres-Dodgers, Phillies-Braves, and only 8% for Guardians-Yankees. Keep those votes coming. Keep those comments coming on Facebook and Twitter. Hour one is in the books. Hour number two, more baseball. Brett Chancy from Locked On Astros joins us live next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.
5: Oh, yeah.
6: Oh,
0: yeah. Everything, everything. Everything going be all right this
1: morning. Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parks III, better known as RP3.
2: Our number two has arrived. It is Major League Baseball Divisional Series Day. All four division series will start today, including Astros versus the Mariners. You can listen to the game live right here on your home for Houston Astros Baseball in southwest Louisiana. 207 will be Astro launch. First pitch will begin at 237. To break down this series... To share his confidence level about the Strohs is the man who co-hosts the Locked On Astros podcast, our good friend Brett Chancey, now joins us here on RP3 and Company. Brett, good morning to you, bud. How are you?
7: Man, I am doing really good. It's the day of the first playoff game for the Eastern Astros in 2022, and we've got a division foe who has caught fire lately. But the division foe that caught fire is about to run into the American League's best team.
2: Do the Mariners present the biggest threat to you guys from preventing you to get to the World
7: Series? I believe so, and that's not to discount or discredit the Guardians or the Yankees. I just think that both these teams are evenly matched, and what the Mariners have done in the regular season versus good teams they've proven that they can win against good teams. I think they had won a series against us earlier in the season, but overall, you know, we're 12-7. and seven. Um, So, yes, they are – a lot of people are saying, and I kind of agree with it, that maybe this is the real quote-unquote ALCS because they think whoever comes out of this series will definitely beat the the opponent from the top side of the bracket.
2: Why do the Mariners match up so well with the Strohs? Let's we'll start with the pitching rotation.
7: Yeah, you've got you've got Logan Gilbert going today. Of course, Luis Castillo, the Astros really haven't faced a whole lot. Um, you've got Robbie Ray, who, although he's faltered lately, is very good. And you've got Kirby that's come on pretty strong lately. Um, Marco Gonzalez always seems to handle the Astros really well. The Mariners starters just seem to do a really good job at pitching the Astros, where if the Astros – are a fastball hitting team. They throw the breaking pitches, um, but they also have you know some superstars on the offensive side. They got Julio Rodriguez, who has become one of the best major leaguers at his position. You got Cal Riley, who has kind of become their their, their unsung heroes. They call him Big Dumper. Um, Ty France is a scary at bat. JP Crawford's a a, a plus major leaguer. Um, you've got a couple holes in that lineup. But for the most part, top to bottom, they can they can match the Astros. I still think the Astros have them in like overall talent when you really crunch all the numbers.
2: So you like the Astros rotation a little bit better. What about the back end? What about the bullpens of the two teams?
7: Well, I, I really like the Astros bull. I, I just I I see what they've done and. The Mariners are right there with them. They may not have the same guys, but they have done similar things. Um, I I think Montero, who actually was not very good in Seattle once we got him, we've really turned his game around. Um, you see Stanek. I think Stanek's fastball has been very hittable lately, but I think he's going be, gonna to be using his cutter more. His, um, he's not going to be going four-seam because his team loves the four-seam. I think in the back end, Munoz and the guys they have, they are they are very good. But I just I just think guys like Jordan Alvarez, Jose Altuve, Alex Bregman, those three right there, have been great. And here's the next factor. Martin Maldonado loves to hit home runs against the Seattle pitchers. And every game that Martin Maldonado's hit a home run in, the Astros have won this year. So we might see some, um, some safe co – or I'm sorry um, – T-Mobile Park um, blast by Martín Maldonado when they get to Seattle.
2: Let's talk about the lineup. What do you think Dusty's going to do today for the lineup against Seattle's pitching?
7: I think he's going to go with you know he's going to slot Jeremy Pena in the two hole. Really, I, I think he's going to yes. He, I mean, he talked about it yesterday. At the um, ALDS workout, um, reading reading the press notes, he said, Pena, he said, I ask all the guys where they prefer hitting. Pena sees a lot more fastballs in the two-hole. Um, I believe it's going to be Altuve, Pena. I believe Alvarez will be after him because he talked about Alvarez hitting after him, gives him more fastballs. Um, we know that Logan Gilbert has a low level of success versus Jordan Alvarez um, because he is literally – um he's batting nearly five hundred um against Logan Gilbert in his in his career. Well,
2: that's pretty and, good. That's
7: pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> and then you've got yeah, and then you got and then you've got um you got Alex Bregman who's who's hitting well against some and Jose Altuve. But I think you'll see Altuve. Um I think you'll see um sorry um Pena, then you'll see Jordan Bregman, and then after that probably Kyle Tucker and then it goes down from there. And I think you'll see Chaz McCormick in center field because uh, Dusty kind of seemed to squash the uh, Mauricio Dubon as Verlander's um, personal center fielder. He said he's going for more offense, so look for McCormick to get the start today.
2: Talking with Brett Chancey of the Locked On Astros podcast, he joins us here on RP Three and Company. You know these two teams are pretty evenly matched. The Astros have the better lineup. Right. So, I mean, that's what it kind of boils down to is that the Astros have the better lineup
7: and they have the more veteran lineup. Correct. And, and I mean, Jose Altuve's fourth all time in playoff games started and played in. So, that is a huge, that is a huge indication of what the Mariners are up against. Um, you, you know, How 2A comes in here, he's six home runs away from the all time postseason home run record. He has three postseasons where he's hit five. He's had one where he's hit seven. He could break that record this year, to be quite honest. Um, What's going to be interesting to see is Mancini. How much does Mancini contribute? If Alvarez is DH, Mancini in left field, Yuli Gurriel, does he get off the snide? Does he become playoff Gurriel like he has been um, for us in the past?
2: What's the one thing you're concerned about about the Astros a team that won 106 games so it's weird to ask that but is there anything that worries you as this Astros begin postseason play this afternoon?
7: Yeah, let's let's just point at a perfect example of the Mets 101 game winners and get shocked by the Padres. Everybody thought the Padres limping into the playoffs. Oh, they got one Soto and all these guys. Their pitchers neutralized the Mets hitters and If the if the bats don't come alive in Game One and Verlander happens to struggle and they don't they don't take Game One, then I I think it makes things a little bit more on the side of oh no, this is like this is getting real like too fast. The Astros bats absolutely have to be there and on point. My only concern has been the lack of offense on a consistent basis lately. Um, but I would like to think that doesn't happen because of their experience. Um, the good thing is Logan Gilbert tends to be wild. Logan Gilbert's still young. He's not a seasoned veteran in the postseason, so we're hoping those nerves get to him a little bit. But if the Astros bats are are, are silent, it, you, you're going to see in this series, I don't think you're going to see any blowouts. You're going to see close games. You may see low-scoring games. There's only a plus-eight run differential in the Astros' 12 wins for their seven losses to the Mariners.
2: How do you think this series is going to go, then?
7: So, you know, it's funny. My Our, our listeners and those who view our show have, have really been trying to tell me they've been discouraging me from predicting, and Eric forced me to predict because a Lockdown Mariners host predicted I think in my heart of hearts, it goes four. I think the Mariners get at least one win in Seattle. Um, but the way Seattle ended that that uh, wild card in Toronto and had its massive comeback, I would not be surprised if they push it to a game five. But if it goes to a game five, I don't see any scenario where the Houston Astros lose that. So I think they win in four. If Seattle gets lucky in four, I think they come back to Maid Park and clinch it here.
2: My only thing with, with that prediction, and it's not, uh, I think it's going to go four as well. My only question that I have for Seattle is you get to the postseason for the first time since 2001, and then you go and you win a game, and then you win another game, and you win the wild card series. Did they exhale too much? If that makes any sense. Like, is it because they are a young team still figuring things out? Getting to the playoffs is a win. Winning a game is another like notch on the belt. And then winning a series on the road is great. Does it make them a little bit more relaxed? Right, They're not, I, I don't know, sometimes I always wonder about young teams having nervous energy, and I mm-hmm. think that helps them. Does that maybe hurt Seattle now because they went and shocked Toronto?
7: You know, it, it very well could, but I just think the Seattle team, the way they play, um, the Locked On Mariners host actually lives in Toronto, one of them does, and he was at the game, and he said what was what he noticed was the players weren't even panicked or acted like they were upset that they were down 8-1. to one. And that's what scares you about a Mariners team who really has nothing to lose. I mean, if they lose, everybody expects that. If the Astros don't win, so the Astros really have all the pressure,
1: mm-hmm. but
7: coming out of that, I do think that that does play a part, and that will be up to the Mariners players to control those emotions or to make sure they can stay up that high because, man, they they went to the top really quick, and nobody expected that. So, hey, you know what? If they do, I think that works in our favor. <laughs>
2: Brett, we'll wrap it up with this. I like the Mar- I like the Mariners to win a game. I like the Astros to win the series. I think the Astros will be tested once they get past the Mariners is being tested by Seattle the best thing that could happen for Houston as a mo- as they try to get ready to move on to the LCS I mean getting tested yeah. by a division opponent that that's just going to make them even more laser focused right for the LCS.
7: Oh, yeah, for sure. And um, I'm telling you right now, um, I'm not 100% confident that the Yankees are going to beat the Guardians. I I really think if the Guardians make it to the ALCS, that you face another dangerous opponent just because they have so many X factors. Um, Ramirez, they've got Quan, they've they've got their pitchers, Cal Quantrall, they've got Sticks McKenzie. I mean, they've got a litany of players. Um, then if the Yankees make it, they're going to be hungry because the Astros seem to own the Yankees in the playoffs. The American league will be an absolute gauntlet. This series or next series, but I think it's prime because we need to be tested because the national league is going to bring their a game and we need another title. So test us now, test us in the LCS. That way we're more prepared when it comes dinner time in the world
8: series.
2: Brett, Appreciate your time as always, brother. Thank you for it. Uh, Are you guys going to be dropping a game one reaction pod this evening?
7: Yes. So Eric and I are both going to the game. We're both wearing our orange. We're going to be loud. We will do a reaction. We're trying to coordinate whether we're going to do the reaction from our phones in the parking lot in our vehicles, or if we're going to come home to our studio. So, let us play it by ear, but I promise you, after every game, we're going to do that. We even have a live show um, at our local Hooters on Saturday after, or um, right before Game Three. So we're pumped. Um, go check out our content. My interview with Ryan Stanek, um recently, and so much more going on at Locked On Astros.
2: Can I can I make a quick recommendation as a friend? Yeah. I think you guys should not do it in the parking lot. I think you guys should not do it at your home <laughs> studio. I think you guys should drive eastbound on I-10 and stop by the Bucky's and do it live from the Bucky's. That should where the the podcast should be filmed. That's just I'm just throwing <laughs> it out there. Just think about it, bud.
7: I will do that. That's actually not a bad call. Bucky's is where it's at for sure.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Brother, appreciate your time. We'll talk to you next week. All right, man. Go Stros. I mean the Bucky's has everything. When we went to the Astros game last week, did we stop off at Bucky's on the way home? Yes. We were in the mood for snacks and ice cream. So we stopped at the Bucky's. Just saying. It's a truck stop Nirvana, if you will. You can buy clothes, you can buy beef jerky and fudge. You can buy... I'm pretty sure you can buy meat. <laughs> Sandwiches. A rocking chair. Barbecue pits. I mean, everything you could possibly could need. It's there at the Buckies. We got to take a timeout. When we return, whew, what are we going to tackle next? What should we tackle next? Here on RP3 and Company. How about... We flip it a little bit, and we talk some New Orleans Saints football, shall we? How about that? Let's do that next. That's coming up right here on the game. Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.
1: RP3 grew up dreaming of one day playing right field for the Atlanta Braves, just like his hero, Dale Murphy.
2: I wanted to grow up and be Dale Murphy.
1: Little Raymond, though, wasn't quite the caliber of athlete of his childhood hero, his long highlights as a ball player were being beat twice in the head that actually explains a lot back to more RP3 and company on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles southwest louisiana's, southwest louisiana's sports, sports station.
2: station Lafayette Marble and Granite They offer the largest selection of granite, quartz, and marble in Acadiana. And look, they appreciate the opportunity to earn your business. As you've heard me tell you before, Chris and his team over at LMG, they provide more than just show-stopping marble countertops for your kitchens, bathrooms, and man caves. LMG also now has an extensive selection of custom shower builds with their grout-free showers. That's right. You don't have to worry about the muss and the fuss that comes with grout. And also, after a few years, you don't have to worry about that odor from the grout. Grout Grout-free showers. Make sure to visit their website, lmgelite.com, to learn more about all the sensational services and the tremendous products that Chris and his team have to offer. Live inventory is updated every single Wednesday. Visit lmgelite.com or stop by their soon-to-be renovated showroom. Located right there on I-49 North across from Hub City Ford. It's Lafayette, Marble, and Granite. They're looking to earn your business, and trust me, earn it, they will. Let's talk a little New Orleans Saints football. Got the win, much-needed win against the Seattle Seahawks. Wasn't a perfect game, right? Still had turnovers, which have plagued them all season long. They still let Geno Smith throw dimes on them. That one throw he did while he rolled out to his left and threw off his... There's like three or four guys that can make that throw in the league. Gino's always had the talent. It's just never come together. Secondary, banged up, gave up some big chunk plays. Run defense, not where it needs to be. But they got the dub. They used Taysom time. They got Alvin Kamara involved. And the Saints got themselves a much-needed win to get to 2-3 and three and remain in the hunt. In their division, because once again, Tampa's not running away from it. They're only three and two. But this week, it gets more difficult. This week, Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase come to town, the defending AFC champions. Now, their offense hasn't been as dynamic. It's been a little off, so to speak. It just has been. It just has not been right so far this year. It's early. But they're trying to find themselves. Part of that is because teams have figured out to bracket Jamar Chase and force the Bengals to beat them with Higgins and others, Higgins and Boyd, and they just haven't been able to do it yet. That said, they're still the Bengals. They're still Joe Burr. They're still Jamar Chase, and they're coming to town. Now, can what the Saints did on Sunday, can they replicate that again this coming Sunday against Cincinnati. We'll find out. In particular, using Taysom Hill. It worked against Seattle because you hadn't seen Taysom. Taysom had been banged up. He hadn't played healthy since, what, week one. And they were able to utilize him. In the past, Adam Troutman, for example, was set up because Seattle expected the run. But Cincinnati's defense is far better than Seattle's. That's one. And you've already used Taysom time for four touchdowns on Sunday. You Can't really probably do it again, right? Not at least that effective and Dennis Allen talked about the challenge for them now after Taysom had four touchdowns on Sunday the challenge of disguising him against the Bengals this coming week
8: yeah I think you're always looking to have a counterpunch right you know um and and obviously the 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 verticals that we threw out of it for a touchdown is is kind of one of the counter punches and so um that's part of the schematics of pro football and and trying to stay one step ahead of your opponent and and, uh, um, we'll kind of look at what we can do and and what kind of change-ups we can have off of it. But um, I think each week is going to be a different week in terms of how we plan those things.
2: So they're going to utilize Taysom different ways and they're going to have to figure out how to disguise them. That's going to be extremely important. Now, also extremely important for them, is they got to figure out the turnovers because they have not done a good job this season protecting the football. They just haven't. They cough it up way too much, whether it's fumbles or interceptions. They had two more in Sunday's game. And and Allen talked about just how important it is to protect the football.
8: Well, look, I I still think this. I still think we got to do a better job of protecting the ball. Um, You know, if there's one... Area, I think I said this last night. The one black eye offensively that we had is that we didn't we didn't do as good a job of protecting the football as we need to, and so uh, that's got to that's got to get fixed. Uh, we put a huge point of emphasis on it last week. We'll continue to put a point of emphasis on it. Um, um, you know, but uh, you know that you know the the play right before the you know end of the first half, we got a nice little two minute drive going. We get the penalty, which was a good call. Um, you know, and then we get the check down to, to AK, which really is going to put us into you know, extended field goal range, but yet field goal range nonetheless with like 30 seconds to go in the, in, in the half. And, you know, and then we end up giving them possession of the ball, and, and uh, we don't execute on defense, and they end up getting the touchdown, taking the lead. So, um, you know, obviously then we come back out in the second half, and, the, and the, the, the takeaway there to start the second half I thought was a big play and big momentum, momentum boost for us.
2: So, yeah, look, this team still commits way too many penalties, and they turn over the ball way too much. Got to clean that up. Just, you just got to clean that up. The self-inflicted wounds is always, always going to put you in a poor decision. Always going to put you behind the eight ball. You got to stop doing that. Got to clean that up. Got to be a little bit more disciplined from start to finish. Now, they could get a big boost this week with the possible return of Marcus May. It was the safety that they brought in in this offseason from the New York Jets. He missed the last week's game. That could explain why there were some breakdowns in coverage against Seattle's passing offense. And Dennis Allen talked about just how important it is having May back there next to the Honey Badger.
8: Well, look, I think he's a really good football player. And so um, getting him back, I think, would be a huge boost to our, to our defense. Um, I think he affects the game both in terms of the passing game and the, and the running game. Uh, he's a physical player. He's a good tackler. Um, and so, you know, we've had to adjust some things with, with him not being in the game. And, and uh, um, I'm hopeful that we'll, we'll be able to get him back out there.
2: They're going to need him. They're definitely going to need him this coming weekend. Look. The Bengals' offense may have looked a little pedestrian so far to start the season, but you know what Joe Burrow, Jamar Chase, Higgins and Boyd, and Joe Mixon can do. We've seen it. We saw it at the end of last season. We saw it during the playoffs. They can put up some points on you in a hurry. So the Saints are going to have to be better on defense, they're going to have to continue getting a pass rush. And they're going to need their guys back. They're going to need Marcus May back. They're going to need P.J. Williams back. They're going to need Paulson Adebato play better. We still don't know the status of Marshawn Lattimore as well, who got injured in Sunday's game, the number one cornerback for the Saints. So they're going to need those guys because it's going to be a big challenge, particularly that special connection between Burrow and Chase and Dennis Allen talked about that as well.
8: Well, I think both of them are exceptional players. Um Joe Burrow is, is, uh, you know, he's an athletic quarterback, probably doesn't get enough enough credit for his athleticism, but uh, uh, highly, highly competitive, uh, accurate as a passer, um, and he's got some good weapons to throw the ball to, and he spreads the ball around and does a good job with that. I think Jamar Chase is one of the better receivers in our league, Um, you know, he's exceptional uh, in terms of run after catch, Uh, So we're really kind of just getting into those guys a little bit. But uh, I think both of them are outstanding players. And, um, you know, hopefully our crowd will be a little bit more behind uh, the Saints team and not the local favorites. So we got a couple of local favorites on our side, too.
2: Oh, I like that one. There you go, local favorites. Yeah, we got some local favorites on our side, too. And, of course, you know, we'll get to the great debate later on this week. I'll put that in my back pocket because I've already seen some of it on social media this week, yesterday, about, you know, you're not really a Saints fan if you're going to show up to the Superdome and have a Joe Burrow jersey on, rocking the Bengals. You can't be both. <laughs> already seen people fighting back and forth about that on social. So we'll save that topic for later in the week. You just put that in our back pocket, and it'll be a fun one to have that day. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and company, big game tomorrow night for the Louisiana Raging Cajuns. Coach Dez, his team, they're desperate for a win. They need to get one to get back on track, and they got to take on a Marshall Thundering Herd team that's really tough at home. Both coaches, Coach Dez and Coach Huff, talked to the media via the Sunbelt Conference coaches call yesterday. We're going to share with you what they had to say that's coming up next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: You know how some fellas don't care how they look? I mean, a few of you are rocking sweatpants that haven't been washed in days. Ew. Not to worry, my dear unkempt friend. RP3 and Company is a judgment-free zone. Hell, sometimes these guys don't
6: even wear pants. I would like to extend to you an invitation to the pants party. Excuse me? The party. The pants
1: with the pants. Party with pants. Now back to the hopefully fully clothed RP3. On the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station.
2: Louisiana Raging Cajuns taking on the Marshall Thundering Herd. That'll be tomorrow night. little Wednesday night Sunbelt action. What? It's a big game, though, for the Cajuns. They had the bye last week to get better prepared. We already know Ben Woolridge will be the guy at quarterback, so he's getting additional reps because of the injury to Chandler Fields. And that may be the best thing for this team. Just have one guy take the snaps, be the guy, get the extra time to prepare, And go on the road and get a win. Because that's what's needed here. Look, Marshall pulled off a great upset against a top 10 opponent when they took down Notre Dame earlier this season. Make no bones about it. It was great. But they've also turned around and looked awful since then. Including losing to Bowling Green. A Bowling Green team, mind you, that got beat by Eastern Kentucky. So Marshall is not unbeatable. It's tough to play in Huntington, West Virginia. Make no bones about that. It's difficult. It's going to be a challenge, especially the way the Raging Cajuns offense has performed And its special teams. They're going to have to play their best game to get the win tomorrow night. But I think it's a winnable game. I feel like it's a winnable game for this team, and that would help get them on track in a heartbeat. Now, these two teams, even though Marshall's new to the conference, joining the sunbelt this year. They know each other because, well, they played in the New Orleans Bowl last December. And coach Dez was asked yesterday during the Sunbelt coaches conference call, what's the big difference does he see from the Marshall team that they faced in the bowl game to the one that they're preparing to face this week?
6: Well, you know, defensively, not a whole lot of difference, you know, defensively they they're really good on on defense. Uh Really good up front. They've got everybody back at linebacker, everybody back on the back end um, and added a couple uh, on the front. You know, they did lose a couple interior guys, but they're a really good defensive football team. Um, you know, offensively, they lost some players. It's kind of uh, kind of similar to us a little bit, I'd say. You know, uh, lost quite a few on offense and you're trying to kind of figure out putting those pieces together, trying to figure out the best way to go out there and get your offense going. And, um, you know, watching them, you can see, Uh, they've played really good on offense in some games, you know, and then they've had some where they've kind of struggled a little bit to find an identity. So, um, you know, they're committed to running the football. They've got a really good running back, uh, you know, and he's not the guy from last year. I know he's there. Um, so I know they're trying to get him ready to go, but they've got good backs, um, up front. They're really, really big, you know, and they've got a new quarterback. So that takes a little bit of time to gel. Uh, but you can see, man, when they got it clicking that they've got a good offense as well. So, uh, I, you know, I feel feel like I did before the bowl game. Like, we got our hands full. we got to go out there and go play really well to have a chance to win.
2: They're going to have their hands full. It's a cross-country road trip. And, you know, they've lost three in a row. So, now's the time to kind of figure it out. Now's the time to get a spark. And that spark could come from Woolbridge at quarterback now. You're not having the two guys. You're not playing both of them. That's not what you're doing, right? It's Ben Woolridge is your guy. Could he develop? Could he give this team a spark? Could that extra time working with the wide receivers help with them not dropping the football, help with this team finding a rhythm, so to speak? And Coach Dez talked about Ben, his preparation, and making his first start against the Thundering Herd this week.
6: Yeah, you know, I mean it's the nature of it and it's the worst part of the game or injuries and but they happen you know and so for us with ben and chandler hadn't been having been in competition for so long and really it being really close throughout you know the majority of that competition uh i felt like for our team it was going to be beneficial for both of those guys to get to play uh throughout the year in case if you did have an injury or something came up and you know ben has played really really well at times. Um, and there's some games where, he, you know, I'm sure he, he wishes he'd have played a little bit better. Uh, but the experience that he's got has been really good for him. Uh, I think sometimes, you know, knowing that, hey, listen, it's your show. You're going to go in there. It's your time to go and go do it. It's your opportunity. Um, I think Ben's going to rise to the occasion. Uh, he prepares really well every week. He works tremendously hard to get ready for his team to go out there and give us a chance to win. And I know he's doing the same thing this week. Uh, you know, the thing I've talked to him about is, man, it's just another week. You prepare the way you always do. Uh, get ready to go out there, go play the game, go make the plays you're supposed to make, let the guys around you play, um, and and let's just go out there, let's go lay it on the line. And, uh, you know, I, I feel really strongly um, about Ben, his leadership skills and his, uh, his preparation to this point for him to be ready to go out there and go start this football game and uh, go play really good football for us.
2: They have a golden opportunity. Got the bye week extra preparation, Ben's been able to develop a rapport, running with the ones, get him and those wide receivers to be on the same page because those wide receivers, as talented as they are, they've dropped the ball a lot this year. You prove that you could run the ball a little bit better against South Alabama, right? We saw that. Build upon that. This is not a great Marshall team. It's a tough place to play. They're a physical ball club. They're well-coached by Coach Charles Huff. But if you want to reach your goals, if you want to achieve everything that you set out to achieve, then you got to go on the road with the extra time to prepare, the extra reps for Ben, and go in there and win that ballgame. That's what the Cajuns have to do. Because if they do that, all of a sudden now they're 3-3, and and they're back on track. And... When we looked at the schedule earlier when they started their losing skid and we're like, "Uh uh-oh, look at this tough schedule they got. Well, Southern Miss is still a winnable game. Georgia Southern, who, by the way, we're like, oh, well well, look at the job they're doing at Georgia Southern. They meet Nebraska. Well, Georgia Southern hasn't won a game since. That's a winnable game. That's at Cajun Field on a Thursday. Southern Misses on a Thursday on the road over in Hattiesburg, Mississippi. Lovely Hattiesburg. Nearly took a job there once, by the way. You beat Marshall. You get to 3-3 three and three in the Sun Belt, with the exception of Coastal, who's looked really good, in James Madison, who's looked excellent. By the way, James Madison ranked in the top 25. First team to make the transition from FCS to FBS to be ranked in the top 25 ever, ever. James Madison can't even play for a conference championship or be in a bowl game because of the restrictions of moving up. But everything else is wide open. App State looks vulnerable. Georgia Southern looks vulnerable. Troy looks vulnerable. The Cajuns look vulnerable. Everyone looks beatable. Texas State put a whooping on App State last weekend. Texas State, the Bobcats and lovely San Marcos. You go get a win against Marshall, you're back on track. That's how it works. Cajuns got to do it. Now, they're going to face off against a good team. Charles Huff has done a nice job. A Nick Saban from Alabama disciple who's taken over that program. Once I said before, they beat Notre Dame earlier in the season, but they've struggled. They've been on the struggle bus since then. But these two teams did play in the New Orleans Bowl. And Coach Huff was asked yesterday on the Sunbelt Coaches conference call, what do you take from last year's bowl game?
0: Yeah, I think, you know, from from a coaching perspective, you know, you can always go back and look at some of the things, you know, that they did. I mean, they're they're running a similar system. They have a new defensive coordinator, obviously a new head coach. Um, But some of the things are similar. Um, You don't really take that for, you know, what it is. That was a different time. Um, I think from the players perspective, they can take the the experience of the game, the physicality, the um, the effort, the toughness that they played with, because that's something that's in their championship DNA. Um, but again, I think you got to really look at where each team is now. You know, we're a different team than we were in a bowl game. They're a different team than they were in a bowl game. Um, so I think there's some things that you can look at, um, and kind of use as information, um, as a part of your plan or a part of your preparation.
2: Got to change. It is a different season. They are different teams, roster turnover, coaching turnover. That is, that is all true. And, And for Marshall... This gives them an opportunity, too, to get back on track, right? They've had some stumbles here since they beat Notre Dame, lost their way, nationally televised game on a Wednesday night in Huntington, West Virginia, against the team that's dominated the conference for the last couple years. That would be quite the feather in their cap, wouldn't it? And Coach Huff talked about what their mindset is heading into this highly touted matchup on Wednesday night.
0: We, we feel good. I mean, we feel good every week. You know, we, we talk about, you know, having a, a one-week season every week um, and focusing on the things that we need to do to be able to play well on game day. Um, no disrespect to any other opponent, this is the biggest game on our schedule because it's the next game and we have to prepare like that. I know it sounds like coach talk, um, but you get 12 opportunities at this. So uh, for you not to be excited, um, you know, about an opportunity to play, the defending conference champions at home on a Wednesday night on ESPN in front of your home crowd. Uh, I don't know why you play the game. Um, obviously, it's going to be a tremendous challenge, um, but we had to do the best we can to, to put the best um, uh, plan together from a coaching perspective and go out and execute on game day.
2: So there you go. Should be a good game. It's going to mean a lot to both teams, and it's going to help really change the trajectory of those teams' seasons. We'll talk more about this game on tomorrow's edition of RP3 and Company when Jay Walker joins us, the voice of the Raging Cajuns, as well as KD Hudnall covers the Hundred Thundering Herd. So we're going to get Thundering Herd perspective and Raging Cajun perspective tomorrow. That's how we do it around here. You know how we do it back in uh, the parts compound? It was Monday, right? Last night. We'll get to the dancing with the stars. We'll talk about that later, obviously on the show. But you know what the wife did yesterday? Text me two out today. She goes, Hey, I'm gonna cook dinner tonight. I'm like awesome. Red beans and rice. Oh, so good. She had the beans soaking overnight. Delicious. I told her, I'm not making this up. I literally told her. I woofed down the entire first bowl while my daughter and wife were still eating their first. And I looked at her and said, this is the best red beans and rice you've ever made. She just looked at me and she said, thank you. You know why? You know why she wasn't impressed by my compliment? Because she's a boss. She's cooking up goodness 24-7, 365. Just ask my daughter. She'll tell you. How do will tell you? Who's the best cook? Mama done done thinking about those red beans now it's only 750 why do I do this to myself you're the producer why do you allow me just to keep talking about food because you're too busy over there focused about the Seattle Mariners Houston Astros game today just let me ramble on about food making myself hungry now I want a big old bowl of red beans at 750 in the morning we got to take a timeout when we return, we'll wrap up hour number two, update that poll question of the day, and we'll get you set up for our number three. The great one, Jim Gozolo, will join us. That's all coming up next right here on the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. <laughs> oh, poll question of the day. Major League Baseball Divisional Series will begin this afternoon all four series will begin of course you can listen to the Astros opening up postseason play against the Seattle Mariners right here on the game 1037 Lafayette 1041 Lake Charles Astro launch begins at 207 first pitch is set for 237 don't forget to tune in today for Mariners at Astros right here on the game 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles Southwest Louisiana Sports Station but we asked you Which one of the MLB Divisional Series do you believe is going to be the most competitive? 38% of the vote right now is going to Mariners-Astros. 27% apiece goes to Padres-Dodgers and Phillies-Braves. And 8% of the vote goes to Guardians-Yankees. Ralph Bergeron says, Strohs and Mariners, not sure the series itself will be, but foot versus five names, epic radio. Get your popcorn ready. I agree with that. Of course, someone's flying out of town to go cover a college football game and won't be here to banter with his producer running away from competition. Is that what we're going to call it? That's how we're going to frame that, aren't we? Yeah, we're allowed because we're on the air now and he's not. (laughs) Hour number two has come to a close, but not to worry. Our number three is right around the corner. Jim Gazzolo from the Lake Charles American Press will join us to talk all things McNeese. That's next, right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, your home for the Tigers and Strohs.
6: Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah.
0: Everything, everything. Everything going to be all right this morning.
1: Live from the Delta Media Studios in Upper Lafayette, here is the producer extraordinaire, Hannah Five Names, and your big, bald, beautiful host, Raymond Parts III, better known as RP3. Our number three
2: has arrived. What? Oh, man. Going to talk more Major League Baseball with Bob Nightingale from USA Today. He'll join us in a half an hour from right right now as we preview preview the Major League Baseball Divisional Series that will begin this afternoon. Once again, that is our poll question of the day. Which MLB Divisional Series is going to be the most competitive? Right now, 41% of you say Mariners-Astros. 28% say Phillies, Braves. 18% say Padres, Dodgers. 13% of you say Guardians, Yankees. JPK, the OD, diehard Seattle Mariners fan. Says, I wish I could say the Strohs M series for you Astro fans out there, but it's not going to be close. M's in four. Hashtag gentleman sweep. And he shares the gift from the Karate Kid of sweep the leg. JPK, the OD, why aren't you using the Seattle Mariners hashtag? Isn't it fear the teal? Hashtag Fear the Teal. What's the Mariners hashtag? Mariners fan?
3: Well, right now we have two. Oh. We have Embrace the Chaos, and then we also have See Us Rise. See, I don't like the C. Yeah,
2: I, I got that. What's Embrace the Chaos? Why, why Why is Seattle chaotic? Did I miss something? Because
3: we've been embracing all the chaos since we started.
2: All that Starbucks coffee makes people jittery? That makes it chaotic? Yes,
3: and the Mountain Dew that our bullpen drinks before games. i probably having one today.
2: Regular Mountain Dew or Code Red?
3: I'll probably get Code Red.
2: Uh Oh, Code Red. They didn't
3: testify on the tweet, but I'm going to have Code Red.
2: Back in the day, 20 years ago, I was a different person. Stay up all night playing video games, smoking cigarettes, drinking Mountain Dew, Code Red. Having long hair and being angry, too. That's a whole different person. (laughs) Just a whole different person. Ton, thank you for talking because Ton says uh, Hannah is awfully quiet today. Is she nervous, scared, saving it for footnotes? So many questions. Uh, She's very confident about her team, and she's going to be bringing the mess, if you will, to Kevin Foote later since he'll be out of town for a few days. Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Leave your comments on Facebook and Twitter. But right now it's time for us to bring on our next guest. He's the award winning reporter columnist for the Lake Charles American Press. He's also host of Poke Nation. He's also the host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which you can listen to every Wednesday night right here on the game. It's our good friend Jim Cozzolo joining us now. Jim, good morning, sir. How are you? I'm fine. What an answer. Quite an
9: intro there for the Raymond of old. (laughs)
2: <laughs> the Raymond, uh,
9: the, inside look, the inside look into what makes a man bitter with long hair and code red.
2: Oh man. It was a different time. Different time. Early two thousands were a different time for you, boy. I'll just, I'll just leave it at that. There's things that, that, that can be shared. that cannot be shared live on the air.
9: So I got you.
2: <laughs> so let's talk. Seattle and four, by the way, what else? Seattle and four. Seattle and four. Wow. Wow. Wow, you're not sucking not, up to Hannah at all.
9: I, no, I'm not. I am not a fan of the the setup. I think a week off is bad for baseball players, and I think when you when you rotate the staffs, all of a sudden they just need to win one of two when they've been playing, and the other team hasn't. And then you flip the script on your on your starter. Your ace will go in game three against number three. I think it sets up for upsets.
2: Is that the only upset you're picking?
9: No, I, I think I think I think all first teams will struggle if they don't win, especially if they don't win game one. Wow! Because I, I just think that you flip the script if you if you get a split on the pitching, and I do not like taking a week off at midseason. I don't like it. I, I think your offense really hurts. It's a rhythm game. It's a play every day game, and I think a week off is tough.
2: The great one coming in with the baseball take off the top rope. Boom! Elbow no, just, off the top I, I, rope. I,
9: I, we see it in like other sports where the week off, it takes a game to catch up. I think it really takes two or three to get your rhythm back as a hitter.
2: Well, let me ask you this. McNeese is coming off the bye. Yeah. Is that going to hurt their rhythm for football purposes? No, they had none. <laughs> oh, wow. 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 I was trying to make that transition. You just said none of that. Um, okay. <laughs> <laughs> that was a team this was a team desperate
9: need of a buy why to re, to reset to reset to figure out what does work and what doesn't work and to get past what has been the toughest part of their schedule
2: do you do, do you do you believe then that this week when they open up their home conference slate on Saturday night yeah. versus Texas A&M commerce that we're going to see uh, different formations. We're going to see different looks, different personnel sets.
9: I know you'll see different personnel sets. Uh, I think you will see some upgraded changes. I think you'll see a different team. Uh, I've said that all, I, and I've said that all along since I saw the schedule, that this was a back ended possible schedule Um that could be good. It could I, look. They're not great team. But we all know that. But the back end doesn't have a top twenty five team in it. Uh, doesn't have. It has four home games against like opponents who are struggling in some ways. It, it's an opportunity for them to at least show some improvement moving into the next year. I don't think they're going to go win it six in a row, but I, I can see them having a three and three back end, and I think that would be a positive. And I, I think the whole week off, when they have to fix the passing game. You can read about that tomorrow, by the way. But you, they can always, they have to fix the passing game and be relatively able to move the ball a little in passing. You can't be 65 yards behind the, the next to last team in the Southland Conference in, a, in a passing offense. And if they can fix that and they can get rhythm and timing down on that, then I think I think they'll have an improved second half.
2: And, and and to your point, Jim, they don't need Knox Kadem to go out there and throw for three hundred and twenty five yards and three touchdowns. No. They just they just need the offense to be able to move the chains with the passing game, at least the short to intermediate yes. passing game. That's all they need.
9: Yes. That's all they need. And to make the plays in the end zone when they had the chances to make the plays. That that's what they need to do. They need somebody to step up and say, uh, Let's we got to make a play. They, they dropped two touchdown passes last week uh, against the Carnet Word, and that flips the switch. And you look at everybody else that's playing Carnet Word; they were the closest. Uh, they, they have some things they can build on, and that's we had to grade we, we said all along this season was going to be graded on a curve. How good are you at the end compared to how good are you at the beginning?
2: What do you think? And what has Coach Gary Golf told you? That they're trying to work on offensively, in particular with the quarterback. Is there specific drills? Is there tape watching? Yeah. What 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 is it that they've been trying to tweak during this bye week to help their quarterback take that next step?
9: Simple simplifying his reads, and what I mean by that is not not go through the progression and when to use his legs, which we saw against the Carnett words Some he ran, scrambled more. He's not a scrambler, but he scrambled more. When it was there, and not not sit there and wait and take the sack. Understand, get the clock in your head of what you know, how much time you actually have back there, who to hit. And I think the interesting thing is that you will see two things you're going to see that are going to be different. Um, this week, Ken Cameron, Karen Cameron was cleared to play, so he will now you have an all conference uh, tackle coming back into your offensive line that should help um but also Dylan Simon the kid from Lake Charles Prep has suddenly moved to the slot position to try to get some more offensive weapons going. Are you ta- and uh, I want to see Jim, how that
2: Jim, plays on. out and how much he Jim, sees. Jim are you talking about the young man who was originally brought in as a quarterback they moved to defensive back? Yes. So now they've moved him over to offense and uh, as a wide receiver.
9: He was always in on special plays okay and uh he is now listed on the depth now he didn't travel as a defensive back but he is now listed on the depth chart this week as a slot receiver
2: he's a heck of an athlete
9: try to get a little more speed in that try to get a little more speed in the offense
2: i'm surprised i'm surprised by that especially with uh with what happened in the last few weeks with the defensive secondary taking such a hit with losing kids, uh, being kicked off the team. I'm surprised they took a guy from that side of the football and put him over on, on offense. But I guess that tells me that they prioritize getting the offense going more so than having enough bodies in the secondary.
9: Well, they think they still have enough bodies in the second. It's getting close. Uh, but they still have enough bodies in the secondary. And it's going to be an opportunity for some guys that they really like that were younger to step up. Um, that's how they're going to handle that. Uh, and also, let, let's also remember, of the three kids, only one of them was a starter, although all were contributors in some way. Right. Only one was a starter. The, the thing is, though, with, with the move to get, they want to get and free up some more speed so that they can free up Mason Pierce. I think that's what they're trying to do. Um, and, and the only way to do that is to get somebody else that you have to have speed-wise that can stretch the field. Because right now, nobody, else, no, no other receiver stretches the field.
2: We're talking with Jim Gazzolo. He covers the McNeese Cowboys for the Lake Charles American Press. He's host of Poke Nation. He's also host of the McNeese Coaches Show, which you can listen to every Wednesday night right here on the game. All right, bud, let's talk about this matchup. I don't know anything about Texas A&M Commerce. You do because you're Mr. Southland. What can you tell us about the opponent on Saturday?
9: I know nothing about Commerce. No. (laughs) only kidding with you. Uh... They're going to run the football. Um, they have a two-threat quarterback, but they also play two quarterbacks. But he's not your typical dual-threat guy. There's not there's not a lot of uh, read plays in there as much as you would think. Um, they're they're in their transition from Division two. They shocked, and I think everybody says they shocked Southeastern. Although in reality, I don't think Southeastern is the greatest team in the world, and I said that all along. And they were coming off a huge win against Incarnate Word. So I, it, it, you don't play the season in a bubble. You play week to week. And it's hard for 22 and 20, 21, 22-year-old kids to get up for the same thing for a division. They look at it as a Division two opponent as compared to a number seven team in the country. So I think that played a lot into it. But they, they don't make a lot of mistakes. They're very fundamental. They're very well coached. And – you're going to see a team that has won on the Division II level recently and won a national championship, I think, in 2017, that will come in, and I want to see how they react to success because they're now going to have to make their second long bus ride, and how do they uh, react to all of a sudden being one of the two undefeated teams in the conference, you can believe that. And we're, look, we're two bad calls away from Houston Christian, Northwestern State, and Texas Commerce being the three undefeated in the Southland. Did you expect that?
2: Uh, no. No. No one did. <laughs> no one did. Uh, l- let me ask you this. Does you know, Coach Gary Goff, who comes from the Division II level, has he crossed paths with AM Commerce before?
9: Yes. And about more of the coaching, just the whole coaching circle. He knows what they're going to try to do. They're going to try to run the football. They're going to try to take a, a, a lot of Mississippi college is going to be seen. Take okay. away the deep passes for McNeese. Which, which is really, talking to Knox Kadem last night after practice, he was very much on, I've got to take what they give me. Ooh. And I, I think that's the lesson of the first half is don't force things. Don't force the play if it's not there. Go to the option play. And he, he uses the term, "rip, read it and rip it. And I think that's what you got to do is see what you see, trust what you see, because there were plays there, but they're all going to be underneath. I don't think you can get deep on Commerce as much because they're going to play the three-shell. For the most part, they're going to play the three-shell deep.
2: Read it and rip it. That's essentially been your mantra as a reporter all these years. You put, Boom, just put it on paper. I,
9: I, I Okay. <laughs> I think that's a little – I think that's somewhat rude. <laughs> I don't think that. Um. But, but no, I, I – I, I, we, he went back. He, he talked a lot about having fun and not not putting too much into the game itself, but making sure you you trust what you see. Uh, that's what I heard a lot from players yesterday. Was we got to go back to trusting what we see and trusting what our eyes tell us is open.
2: And it, and you also mentioned the fun part, that obviously suggests that golf and his staff are like, hey, you know what? We understand that this is a process. Let's just go out there and have yeah. fun, guys. Right. And kind of take yeah. that off and the I, kid's shoulders.
9: Yeah, and I want I want to say this about talking to people around campus. Um, this year, you know, you had the same it, it, an incident last year with three players were kicked off. A little a little different incident, but still, the way golf handled it, it was really interesting. Because yesterday on Polk Nation, Heath Sawyer, the AD, said what he appreciated about it being handled the way it was is. It was never on his desk. So I think that indicates he had to handle last year's to make the decision where this year it was, we have a zero tolerance policy and you're gone. And I think that that quick analogy of it never got to my desk kind of tells me and control this program.
2: Which is something they have desperately needed in yeah. more than a few years. They Even no, they
9: have no wiggle. As I said, they have no wiggle room whatsoever when they when they have incidents like this because of their past.
2: This is true. This is true. You know what, Bud? You always have wiggle room here when you join us on RP Three and Company, though.
9: You know how I'm going to spend the rest of my day?
2: Typing up tremendous stories on, that can I'm be gonna found. Put on a
9: wig. No, I'm going to put on a wig. I'm going to go smoke some cigarettes, and I'm going to drink red alert mountain dew
2: <laughs> code red first of all you maniac <laughs> it's mountain what? dew code red not red alert code it's red. code I'm, red you know, I, I, I guess you know i didn't drink it but <laughs> do uh, that, that I, I feel like i'm going to bring you a code red on saturday when i see you at the game
9: and 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 video games i'll play video games all day
2: <laughs> <laughs> brother appreciate you time man thank you so much
9: <laughs> all right you know
2: we have a good time with the great one. He's he's good people. And, and, huh, he's predicting the Seattle Mariners to take down the Houston Astros. You should have seen, we should have the camera on your face when the, the Gozolo, the great one, said that. He does make a good point about teams having that time off. Baseball is such a routine-based sport. I don't know, man. Could be some rust there. Could be some rust. We'll see. we got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, we'll talk a little bit about the poll question of the day. We'll also take your phone calls if you want to get those in. Game hotlines open 337-706-0111. That's 337-706-0111. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and you're home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros.
1: There are two types of sports reporters. Those who are respected for their ability at building relationships with coaches and players. And here's our game plan. Then there are those whose method of reporting is getting hammered with a college football team at Pat O's. We're going streaking! We'll let you guess which one RP3 is. Back to more RP3 and Company on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Southwest Louisiana's Sports Station.
2: Here in Louisiana, there are thousands of miles of utility lines and gas pipelines buried just beneath the surface. Sometimes multiple lines are in one area. So, look, if you are a contractor that you've hired is digging a hole to put in a pool, a brand-new fence, or for any other reason, it doesn't matter if it's big or small, you run the risk of hitting an underground line by digging only a few inches. What happens then? Maybe only knock the power out for your entire neighborhood, but sometimes there's an explosion with injuries and even death. It happens every single year, and there's a very simple way to avoid it. Before you dig, call 811. Call 811 two days before you dig. Tell the operator your address, and someone's going to come out and mark the location of buried lines so you or your contractor can avoid them. It's simple, it's free, and it's the law. Louisiana 811 operates 811 as a public service and to promote public safety. Louisiana 811 and the game, 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, remind you call 811 and know what's below before you dig. Checking on the poll question of the day. It's a good one. We ask you which Major League Baseball divisional series will be the most competitive. All of them begin this afternoon, once again. Astros, Mariners can be heard right here on the game. Astro launch will begin at 2.07 sharp. First pitch, 2.37. You can listen to that live right here on the game. But of all four divisional series, three of them, by the way, are teams facing off against division opponents. Which one's going to be the most competitive? 40% of the votes going to Mariners, Astros. 27% of the vote goes to Phillies, Braves. 20% goes to Padres, Dodgers. 13% now goes to Guardians v. Yankees. Hart says, Ray, I know basketball is not really your audience's main go-to sport, but for the few of us out here, can we get some love for the Pels and what they're putting together so far in preseason? Hart, the answer is no. It's preseason NBA. That's going to be a negatory I put no value whatsoever in preseason basketball for the association. None. When it gets to the season, which they'll tip off here in a few weeks, I will be all about talking New Orleans Pelicans basketball. We will have guests coming on talking about the Pels, and we will give you updates. But, bro, I got Major League Baseball Divisional Series. I got college football. I got NFL. Not squeezing in time for NBA preseason. Got nothing but love for you, but it ain't happening. It's just not happening. Not happening. Mr. Green on Twitter says, I think Braves and Phils will be the most competitive, most entertaining, Strohs and Mariners, least entertaining, Dodgers, Padres. Upset alert, possibly Guardians, Yankees. Though would Yankees losing be an upset at this point? How bad have they been lately? Keep those votes coming on our poll question of the day. Let's head out to the game hotline. Welcome on, Paul. Paul, got about a minute, but it's yours, brother. What's on your mind?
4: Okay,
9: for one, you haven't hair—that's like saying foot is no, was normal at one time. I would love to see the picture of you with hair.
4: Oh, we'll share
9: it. <laughs> I'm, just saying, I'm just saying, just saying, just that, saying. That, that's that—that's a slim chance. Okay, but check it. Now that guy was wise because I've been saying the Mariners was going to beat the Astros. Been saying it, and they will win. But I have a question for you. Are you going for uh, in the Yankee game?
2: Uh, It doesn't matter. My team's in the other side of the bracket in the National League. So it doesn't matter to me. Come on,
9: it's not a hard decision right there. That's an easy question.
2: It doesn't matter. I just want my team to win. I don't care who comes out of the American League because I feel like my team can beat whoever comes out of the American League.
9: Your team is the Yankees. That's why it's an easy question, It's not the Yankees,
4: (laughs) you Maniac. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> you a Yankee you my fellow Yankee brother Yankees gonna win, Mariners gonna win I called this and we gonna beat the Mariners and we going to the World Series so far my predictions haven't been right
1: get
2: get out yep. of here Paul Paul you're
9: yep, a maniac my <laughs> <laughs> we, got,
2: we gotta take we gotta take a timeout <laughs> that man is an absolute maniac he's trying to make everyone a Yankee fan the most popular baseball team on the face of the planet Paul's like I still got to go out there and recruit more people to my team. (laughs) You're the pinstripers. You don't need to recruit anyone. (laughs) Get out of here. We got to take a timeout. When we return here on RP3 and Company, Bob Nightingale from USA Today will join us. We'll preview all four. Of the divisional series, and also look back on Wild Card Weekend that's coming up next right here on the game Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Wild Card Weekend is in the rearview mirror, and now we have Major League Baseball's divisional series matchups. And man, we got some good ones. Three of them are with teams facing off against—wait for it—divisional rivals. That's going to make things quite dramatic, and that familiarity should play a huge role in these series. To break down Wild Card Weekend and look ahead to the divisional series that begin today is one of the best baseball writers around, our good friend from the USA Today Network, Bob Nightingale. Bob, good morning to you, brother. How are you, my friend? Yeah, doing
9: well in Los Angeles right now.
2: All right, let's start off, go back to Wild Card Weekend. Who was the biggest surprise to you, of the teams that got eliminated. Was it the Mets? Was it the Cardinals? Or was it the Blue Jays?
9: You know, I, I think the Cardinals, when you think about it, uh, you know, they were playing great baseball. You got two, you know, MVP candidates and Paul Goldschmidt and Arnato. Of course, the, uh, you know, pull-holes factor going crazy. And they pitched great. They just could not hit. I mean, Arnato and Goldschmidt went one for one for 15 with six, six strikeouts. You know, I think... Uh, you know, nationally, I think people might look at the Mets series, but not really. I mean, the, the two teams I thought were the biggest sleepers were the Mets. I mean, were the uh, Padres and Mariners. I mean, that Padres rotation, Hugh has pitched as well as anybody. Uh, Joe Musgrove has always been a, uh, a horse for him. And you never know what you're going to get, you know, from uh, Blake Snell. He's certainly capable of doing damage. So, you know, it, it showed by winning the two of the three games there. Uh, Seattle's case, same thing. Luis Castillo was easily the best pickup in the trade deadline. You know, they go in there. Uh, the Robbie Ray, their defending side young pitcher, did not pitch well, but then the epic comeback. So I think Seattle's going to give the Astros fits next round. I really do.
2: Of the three teams that I just mentioned, Blue Jays, Cardinals, Mets, it feels like the Mets and Cardinals are going to have the biggest turnover right with their roster. Cardinals have a lot of aging guys that are retiring are going to be leaving Poolhole, Swainwright, Wright, Molina, the Mets are going to be maybe without both of their starting pitchers. So what do you expect this offseason to look like for those two franchises in particular?
9: Well, the Cardinals usually just kind of do mild, you know, uh, turnover. Uh you know, obviously you got to replace uh, Molina. And you know, they never big in the free agent market. They just don't do that. So I would think still more some homegrown guys. I'd be interested if they jump in the shortstop market and try to get Xander Bogarts. I think everybody sees Bogarts, you know, as about half the price uh, of the other guys. So he may be the way to go. Uh, now, the Mets side, you know, all of the cases are DeGrom does not want to stay there. So if he leaves, you go, go got to get a starter. You know, maybe they go hard after a guy like Justin Verlander, uh, get him there. Uh, it's still a very good team, uh, you know, a huge disappointment in the way, you know, the way uh, Edwin Diaz pitches here. You know, I think they got no choice but to bring him back as well.
2: Before we look ahead to the divisional round, I want to ask you one more question about two teams that seem to be so similar. And those are the two teams that played for the World Series a year ago. They seem to have the same mindset when it comes to signing their young stars. Right? We've seen the Astros lock up so many of their guys, their younger players on what I would say are kind of team-friendly deals, right, Bob, where uh, they're not letting them hit the open market, they're locking them up and getting them on what I would call pretty affordable prices. The Braves are doing the same exact thing where they're locking up guys left and right on long-term deals. How impressive is it that we have not one but two of these franchises that are taking this approach with their young talent?
9: Yeah, particularly Atlanta. I mean, man, they've got about eight guys now. Locked up. And, you know, they just say, uh, you know, locked up uh, Strider. They're, uh, they're, you know, they're probably finished second rookie of the year um, bowling They're number two, you know, their two uh number two starter beside, you know, behind Max Breed. So they've done an unbelievable job. I mean, Houston's done a nice job, too, you know, locking up guys like Altuve and Bregman, but not to those discount prices. Atlanta's gone with their guys. Uh tremendous job there.
2: And their guys always show up for the press conferences when the other guys are signing these team-friendly deals. It's just it, it's a fascinating culture that they've built there in a pretty quick time over the last few years.
9: No, it really is. I mean, guys want to stay there, obviously. Uh, they have a blast there. You know, when you talk to uh, players around baseball, they said the two best places to play uh, as far as, you know, teams always win and not there's not that pressure is uh, St. Louis, Atlanta. Just, you know, great fan base. Uh, you know, St. Louis has been you know, gained 3 million fans year after year. Atlanta now, you know, it's finally drawn fans not to be moved to the ballpark and are winning. So, yeah, guys love playing in both places.
2: We're talking with Bob Nightingale, Covers Major League Baseball for USA Today. He joins us here on RP3 and Company. Division series start today, and let's start in the National League. Let's start with the defending World Series champs, Atlanta Braves. They, uh, they got the bye as the two-seed. They're going to welcome in the Philadelphia Phillies. Phillies, you know, went into St. Louis and took care of business and and did so pretty convincingly. They're division rivals. How do you like this matchup, Bob, between the Phils and the Braves?
9: Well, the Phillies played Atlanta tough throughout the year. They really did. They just couldn't beat the Mets. Uh, I like Atlanta a lot. Uh, I just think they're a, uh, a better team, and I really believe – the. The World Series goes to Atlanta too, not just the uh, not just the pennant. So I'm going to Atlanta to win four games, may, maybe three. I, I think uh, I don't think Atlanta's going to have a problem. I really don't.
2: When do you think we're going to see Strider uh, pitch? Do you think you're going to see him here, or do you think you're going to they're save him for the uh, NLCS because he hasn't pitched since what September 18th?
9: Yeah, they were supposed to run some tests on him today. You know, make sure he. Uh, you know, runs and looks good off the mound. So we'll see. I think they prefer to have them at home, right in the road. But you know, if you go on the road, you give them uh, two extra days there. So I could, you know, I could see you know either one going game two or or, or going game three. I mean, such a uh, a great competitor. You know, I I really don't think it matters home or road. Obviously, Philly is a much smaller ballpark. But uh, you know, this guy is unbelievable. Just a, a fabulous competitor. And, you know, he should be a Cy Young winner one day.
2: If the Phillies could pull off the upset, what does the X factor need to be in your humble opinion, Bob? Well,
9: they don't have to hit. I mean, those guys, they got some star guys. Obviously, they're they're with, you know, uh, Harper and Schwarber, Castellanos. But it's almost like with those guys, it's almost feast or famine. You know, they got to, uh, you know, sometimes they, you know, they strike out so much and everything else. It's like score some runs. Uh, you know they do. They do have Wheeler and Nola, and I think for them to have a chance too, both those guys have to be dominant. Uh, you know, not just good, but dominate their starts.
2: Let's stay in the National League. The Dodgers won the most games than anyone in Major League Baseball. They set a new franchise record for that, and they're going to be taking on the Padres. And look, they played extremely well against the Padres and and ran away with that division title. But that familiarity does make things interesting. Between the NL West rivals, Padres have a lot of star power. So do the Dodgers. How do you like this series, Bob?
9: Uh, you can't help but go with the Dodgers. I mean, they're in their heads. Uh, you know, you go back the last twenty eight games; uh, they've gone. The Padres have gone five and twenty three. It's just uh, such a domination. It's unbelievable. And uh, you know, now you are not going to not going to have uh, you are have Darvish for just one game, Joe Musgrove for just one game. Uh, I like the Dodgers in this series. I don't like Dodgers against Atlanta. I think Dodgers immense one more round.
2: So you like Pod, you like Dodgers to beat Padres in one NLCS. You like the Braves to beat the Phillies in the other, and we'll have a Dodgers, Braves, NLCS. Let's go over to the American League, Bob, and let's talk about a team that I think is just kind of under the radar. I'm talking about the Cleveland Guardians. They have a veteran skipper. They have a guy who knows how to win titles. I like their lineup. I like their pitching staff. It, 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 they just win, and they've played tremendous ball in the second half. Do you give them a shot to beat the New York Yankees and take down the Pinstripers in the division series?
9: Uh, just an outside shot. I mean, you know, the play of the house money. You know, zero pressure. Uh, you know, so they can. You know, they can certainly do it. Uh, you know, what, 17 guys made a major league debut, the youngest team to ever uh, make the postseason. So they're going to be good for quite a while. Uh, but I think I think the buck stops here. You know, their only chance, only chance is to win game one and beat Garrett Cole and then put some, uh, you know, thoughts in the Yankees' head like, oh, oh here we go again. But I, uh, I, I like the Yankees in the series.
2: What about the Yankees gives you pause for them to advance to the World Series and win the whole thing?
9: You know, uh, much like the Dodgers. I mean, outside, uh, you know, you got Garrett Cole, you know, Nestor Cortez, kind of a drop-off. I mean, who's going to close for these guys? That's a mess in the uh, back end of the bullpen, just like the Dodgers. So I just worry about, you know, that depth in the starting rotation. You know, I think they're a good team. I don't think they're a great team. I think the Houston Astros are a much better
2: team. Let's talk about those Strohs. They take on the Mariners. They beat their in a uh, beat their AL West rivals 12 games to 7. But man, for a good part of the season the Mariners were going toe to toe with the Astros. Seattle in the playoffs for the first time since 2001. They win a playoff series. Uh, they could give the Strohs some uh, uh, some trouble, right?
9: I think they're going to get an absolute fit. I think if there's going to be a major upset in the next round is this one. Uh, Seattle's good. McCastillo, I mean, what a pitcher he's been. And uh, Logan Gilbert will go game one. You know, he's a, he's a stud. Uh, you know, and uh, they're, they're so you know, Robbie Ray defending, you know, Cy Young winner. Uh, got some nice young players. Now they have a lot of confidence. So, I think this series is going five games. I, I really do. I saw where you know, all, the, all these matchups, I think the biggest uh, underdog is Seattle. I don't, I don't agree with that. It would not surprise me if they beat Houston. I, I think that much of Seattle, and they're on a roll. You also wonder, too, you know, how does a team react when they had this much time off? You know, like Houston's had and like, you know, the Incans have had.
2: So are you picking Seattle to win it, or do you think Houston finds a way?
9: I think Houston finds a way. So I'm going Houston in five. uh, But I will not be surprised if Seattle pulls off the upset. I I think it would be a a great series. And I think think that Mariners are going to scare the daylights out of the Astros.
2: Which, in theory, if that happens and Houston survives, I don't think that's necessarily a good thing for the Yankees. (laughs) Because then Houston's going to be locked in after being scared. (laughs)
9: Yeah. remember, Remember now, they played seven times this year. Uh, Astros won five of them, and only t- the two games they lost were walk-offs. So, never once did the Yankees ever go to the plate in those seven games with a the lead. They were either uh, you know tied or behind. That's how much of a domination the Astros uh, had over them this year.
2: Bob, appreciate your time, as always, and in your insight, brother. Keep up the tremendous work. Enjoy being on the West Coast for the start of the divisional series, and we'll talk to you soon, my friend.
9: Sounds great.
2: Take care, buddy. It's Bob Nightingale. Covers Major League Baseball for USA Today. Joining us here on RP3 and Company. Always appreciate Bob's time. Now, look, he's picking chalk. Dodgers, Braves to advance to the NLCS. Astros, Yankees to advance to the ALCS. But he says the Astros are going to get a scare put in them by the Mariners. I don't necessarily disagree with that. I really don't. Hey, just a reminder. The Game Clubhouse at 103.7thegame.com and 1041 thegamecom can help you with your date night blues, fellas. I look, I know you're saving money. You're spending a ton of money on Halloween candy right now. You don't have enough money to take your lady out for a good time. Let us help you. Because once you become a member of our rewards club, you're going to have the opportunity to score excellent prizes like a $150 gift certificate to Mr. Lester Steakhouse at Cypress Bayou or you can get yourself a $50 gift certificate to Half Shell Oyster House or a $25 gift certificate to Mabel's Kitchen. What? That's right. Impress your lady, take her out, show her a good time. But you can only score these great prizes by becoming a member of our Game Clubhouse at 1037thegame.com or 1041thegame.com. It's free, it's simple. So go sign up today. we got to take a timeout. When we return, we'll wrap up today's show, finalize that poll question of the day, and get you set up for Kevin Foot and Footnotes. That's all next right here on The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros. <laughs> Oh, what a tremendous Tuesday edition of RP3 and company. We've covered a lot of ground today. We've talked a lot of Major League Baseball. Obviously, the Divisional Series is today. They all start today, all four series. We got the Astros perspective from our buddy Brett Chancey from Locked On Astros podcast who joined us earlier today. We talked Meek nice Cowboys football they're coming off the bye. They're retooling some things. They're tweaking some things in particular to their offense. That's what we found out from Jim Gozolo from the late Charles American Press. And then we just got a Major League Baseball Divisional Series preview from our friend Bob Nightingale of USA Today. So I want to thank all three of those gentlemen for hopping on with us today, serving as our guest on this tremendous Tuesday edition of the show. And we also talked New Orleans Saints football, LSU football, and raging Cajuns football today as well. It's going to be an interesting week for our college teams. McNeese has an opportunity to kind of get things right here. Coming out of the bye, taking on Texas A&M Commerce Saturday night there at Cowboy Stadium, a.k.a. the hole. Can they do that? Can they get their season on track? You heard Jim Gazzolo talk about, hey, you know what? It's not out of the realm of possibilities because the Southland is so wide open that McNeese could go 3-3 three and three in their last six. Huh. that'd be a strong second half for a team that's rebuilding. The LSU Tigers, meanwhile, they're on the road to the Swamp, taking on Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. Both teams are 4-2, and two, but they feel a little bit different. This is a key game for both. It just is. It is a key game for both of these coaches because this is their first season at the helm of these perennial SEC powers A win on Saturday goes a long way, especially in this rivalry series. And, of course, the Louisiana Raging Cajuns go to Huntington, West Virginia tomorrow. They're traveling today. They'll be over there tomorrow to take on a Marshall team that they faced in the bowl game, but a Marshall team that also beat Notre Dame earlier in the season, but has also stumbled since then. The Sunbelt Conference is wacky right now. just is. Got App State getting crushed by Texas State. Georgia Southern looked really good beating Nebraska, and then they haven't won a game since. Cajuns have struggled. It's wide open, the Sunbelt Conference. A win tomorrow for Coach Des and company changed the whole trajectory of their season. Final results of the poll question of the day. We asked you, Which Major League Baseball Divisional Series is going to be the most competitive? Once again, three of them feature teams from their same division. Lots of familiarity here. Should be great series. Winning the vote with 39% of the vote is Mariners-Astros. 26% go to Phillies-Braves. 20% Padres-Dodgers. And 15% for the Guardians versus the Yankees. I think all four series are going to be good series. I don't think you're going to see any lopsided defeats here. I I just don't. I think they're going to be all for competitive, which October baseball that's competitive, I'll take that all day long. That's going to do it for this Tuesday edition of RP3 and Company. For the producer extraordinaire who's rocking her teal and black flannel today, Miss Hannah, five names, I'm Raymond Parcher third, better known as RP3. We'll do it all again tomorrow, 6 to 9. But up next... Is Kevin Foot and Footnotes. But until then, be safe out there. Be kind to one another. You're listening to The Game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station, and your home for the LSU Tigers in Houston Astros.